uh-oh. We got some trouble in the White House. Heads are going to roll, and it's going to be awesome. See, it's not all bad news, but yeah, there's lots of bad Afghanistan news, too. All that's coming up on I'm Right. Let's have a talk, you and I. See, it's not all bad news out there. Yeah, we're going to go over some of the ugly stuff in Afghanistan, and it's an international embarrassment, and none of that's good, and the country's absolutely going to hell. But let's set all that stuff aside for a moment. We have good palace coup, juicy news tonight. We'll get to all that in a moment, but I want to help you out for a moment. You see, we on the right think differently. That's why we're on the right. We just look at the world differently than the communists do. But because we look at the world differently, we struggle understanding why these people make the decisions they make. And specifically, obviously, we're talking about foreign policy here. Why do they make these wild, I mean, idiotic-looking foreign policy blunders? Obama did this for eight years. And now Biden, it took Biden eight minutes. And now he's got one, too. Obviously, dumb things, terrible things where we're sitting back, I mean, taking the partisan stuff out of it, we're sitting back and saying, what? Are, Are they all dumb? What? One, it's not that they're all dumb. I mean, most of them are dumb, but that's not what we're talking about. It's not that they're all dumb. You must understand three very specific things about these people and how they view the world. You don't have to love this. You'll hate it, probably, but it is true. All right, you ready? Three things. These, this is how these people view the world. First and foremost, and this part is really, really critical for you to get. There's no love of country. None. That, they, they, they weren't taught that way. In fact, lots of the time, there's a flat-out hate of country. But they never, ever, 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 ever will approach any issue, whatever it may be, Afghanistan, immigration, taxes, whatever the issue may be, they will never approach it from the standpoint of, does this help America? I love America. Is this going to help improve it? Is this going to make the country even better? Because they, they don't come from that frame of reference. They either don't care about the country or, in many cases, they flat out despise it. You get a lot of that. So you have to understand that. That's one. They all think that way. One. Two. This is important because almost all of these people have resided outside of the real world. They've resided in only academia. They don't understand the way the world works. And let's let's be honest about academia. Most people who serve in, you know, a Democrat administration, government bureaucracies and whatnot. What am I talking about? Never experienced the real world. Almost universally, these are upper middle class or rich kids. There's nothing wrong with that. I hope you're upper middle class or rich. That's fine. Whatever. But they're kids who, they didn't grow up in bad neighborhoods. They didn't grow up, they didn't see real violence. They didn't see ugly parts of the world. And then when they turn 18, where do they all go? Off to a college campus. Almost always a nice one, too. It's Harvard and Yale and Georgetown and Columbia and whatnot. And when's the last time you were on one of these college campuses? They're paradise, aren't they? I mean, they're bubbles. The perfectly manicured lawns, you feel like you're on a golf course. Beautiful buildings, there's no violence breaking out of any kind. You go to sociology class and you learn how evil white people are, and then you get off work and you go binge drink with all your friends. Okay, that's fine, but by the time you're 22, 23 years old, you still have never experienced the real world, the world where most, the world most people experience. Okay, so now they're in that bubble, and then boom right into government. 
theory. They're working on political campaigns, or they're working in media newsrooms, or right to Washington, D.C., where there'll be a, a staffer on the Hill surrounded by cops and safety and white pillars. Okay, now you have a lifetime eventually. Soon you're 30, 40, 50 years old, and you have quite literally never lived in the real world. Because they don't live in the real world, they don't understand how the real world works. They understand the world of academia. These people were legitimately shocked. The Taliban, who only understand force, only understand the end of a gun, the business end, they were legitimately, we have all the intel reports now, they were shocked the Taliban just stormed right in the second we left. They didn't get it. They thought, remember, we had Lieutenant Colonel James Carafano on. Remember, he said, look, they thought the Taliban would be appreciative that we were leaving and give us time to evacuate our people. Now, you can say, oh, are they idiots? And yeah, obviously, they're idiots. It's not that they're idiots, though. They don't understand the real world because they've never resided in it. That's two. And three, and this is another important part, three things. The third one, they believe they should rule over you. And I want to be clear about this. I'm not talking about general snobbiness. Oh, look at the uh, dirty peasants. He probably smells. No, they genuinely believe that's the way society is ordered. You're lesser, and they should be in charge of everything you do. They, they're, they're of a much more sophisticated class and should make decisions for the plebs. Those three things are how they view the world. If you understand that about these people, it will make it easier to understand why they do all the insane things they do and make all the mistakes they make. Now on to Afghanistan. It's a total disaster. I want to clarify this so you understand what's coming. It's not about to get better. You're already seeing a bunch of ugly pictures and video and violence, and we're going to be real careful with how much we show you on the show. We're going to show you some. I understand you're not a child, but we're not going to glorify the gore. Just know it's going to be bad. It's bad now. It's going to get worse. It's not going to get better. And the White House caught with their pants down. Here's Jake Sullivan. We don't have a complete picture, obviously, of where every article uh, of defense materials has gone, but certainly a fair amount of it has fallen into the hands of the Taliban. And uh, obviously, we, we don't have a sense that they are going to readily hand it over to us at the airport. Oh, I can't believe it. I thought those Taliban would get their hands on armored vehicles and, and weapons, and they'd say, oh, America, hey, where's the lost and found? So, someone, someone left this here. What a shock. <laughs> and, uh, it's terrible in Afghanistan. It's terrible. And on the most embarrassing part of this, there are two parts that are extremely humiliating. One, we left 10,000 American citizens behind like they were chopped liver. America has always stood behind American citizens when they're in foreign lands. Apparently that didn't matter to the Biden administration. That's one. Two, the weapons and equipment we left behind we spent 20 years fighting with, with these people, and we just armed them to the teeth. It is, it's hard to watch them walking around with M4s. It's hard to, to wrap your mind around the fact that Taliban now own more Black Hawk helicopters than 166 nations on Earth, courtesy of you and I, the taxpayer. That's hard to watch. And the government right now, it's not as if they've realized they've screwed up and they have a solid plan in place. They still don't have a plan. I mean, remember, we pulled our people out. Now we're sending a bunch of people back in, but we pulled our people out. We lost our foothold. They're issuing bulletins right now 
telling American citizens, get over to Hamid Karzai Airport. Oh, but by the way, I should probably mention, be advised the U.S. government cannot guarantee your safety as you make the trip. Yeah, that's right. That's from the United States government. Hey, get to the airport, but uh, ooh, might want to get Uber armored because, boy, I have no idea how you're going to get there. We just, we left them high and dry. And I do enjoy the hypocrisy of all this. Remember, Donald Trump, president of the United States, Donald Trump, he's not allowed on Twitter because of January 6th, when he didn't even cause January 6th. You know who is on Twitter? The Taliban. You know one of the ways the Taliban organized this gigantic takeover? Twitter. They used Twitter to organize the gigantic takeover. But Trump's not here, but the Taliban can organize it. And of course, Twitter's being pressed on this, right? Um, are you going to allow these guys on here? And Twitter said, well, as long as they follow the rules, <laughs> they're over there murdering people as we speak. We already have the pictures and video. They're not following the rules. Let's set all that aside for a moment. I don't want to laugh. I mean, look, I'm trying to make light of some things here because I understand this is an embarrassing, heavy time. I'm hearing from a lot of Afghanistan brothers of mine who served in Afghanistan. I did not. I was in Iraq, by the way. I've had people ask me. I, I never went to Afghanistan. I was in Iraq. But a bunch of my brothers did go to Afghanistan. And they're hurting right now. And part of the reason they're hurting is they fought and they bled and they watched their buddies die. And it's really terrible. And the embarrassment. And the Taliban, they're rubbing it in. You know, Joe Biden's famous for eating ice cream because he's not famous for doing anything else as president. So the media ran this, look at Joe ordering Rocky Road campaign. And it was really embarrassing. Now the Taliban are putting pictures up of themselves online all holding ice cream cones to troll the president of the United States. That's, obviously, it's not a big deal. It's a Twitter post. But, man, that is embarrassing. We've got barbarians in Afghanistan mocking our president in front of all of us. Gosh, that sucks. And politically, this is a disaster for Joe Biden. Rest assured about this. I mean, we have his new approval numbers out there now at 46%. He is in free fall America may not be on the right. They're not on the left, but they're not on the right. You know, it's kind of a middle country. They're, 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 America's far, far to the left of you and I. Let's just agree on that. But Americans, I mean, all people in general, but Americans, they do not like to be embarrassed. This is pretty consistent for all nations throughout history. They love, 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 love winning wars, losing wars, and being mocked for losing wars. It's a bitter taste in their mouths, and this is landing in Joe Biden's lap. And so things are really, really bad. I mean, these scenes you're seeing right now, I want to be clear about this. It's not like this is going to be over tomorrow. There's probably going to be a civil war in Afghanistan. There are going to be purges, have already been purges of, of Afghani people who helped us. I mean, there's terrible stories of torture and death. It's really, really bad. And we have... We have Rick Scott. He's a Republican senator from Florida. And he's not exactly me here. He's not exactly some fire-breathing right-winger who just throws stuff out there. Rick Scott's citing the 25th Amendment. The 25th Amendment. He wants to remove Joe Biden. Quote, after the disastrous events in Afghanistan, we must confront a, a serious question. Is Joe Biden capable of discharging the duties of his office 
or has the time come to exercise the provisions of the 25th Amendment? That's a big deal. This is, like I said, this is not a guy who just throws out fire-breathing stuff like that. That means he's talked to other people who are thinking about it. This is a political disaster, an absolute political disaster. There's no way around it. Now to the fun stuff, the palace coup stuff. Just remember, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, they hate each other. They have always hated each other. Kamala Harris was Joe Biden's diversity hire. He promised everybody, I'm going to hire a, 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 my VP will be a woman uh, and a woman of color. Try to get all the woke points he possibly could, which stuck him with Kamala Harris, only she's terrible. She's terrible, and remember this about Kamala Harris. Always remember this. She's ambitious. And I don't mean ambitious like, like you trying to get a little better grade in school or trying to get the next promotion. Kamala Harris is one of those people, and you've known people like this in your life, she'll kill her own mother if it means getting ahead. So Kamala Harris, she's running far away from this unfolding disaster. Apparently, this is a rumor, but it's a pretty solid rumor. Joe Biden wanted Kamala Harris standing with him when he gave that stupid address the other day, and she refused. There are rumors about her behind the scenes saying he's not going to pin this on me. Kamala Harris is out there making public statements right now. You know what they are? Quote, please protect yourself and your loved ones. Get vaccinated. Clearly keeping away from this situation or trying to, which is odd because this is what she said before. President Biden always said that he wants you to be the last person in yeah. the room, particularly for big decisions, just as he was for President yeah. Obama. He just made a really big decision. Afghanistan. Yes. Were you the last person in the room? Yes. And you feel comfortable? I do. Ooh. This is getting uncomfortable, isn't it? And of course, we all know what happened there. She probably wasn't even the last person in the room. But if she was, Kamala Harris is going to look at this and say, all right, we're leaving Afghanistan. It's going to be a political win. I have to wrap my arms around it. Oh, no, it's not going well. Woo! That's on you, Joe. I'm out. So they're, they're already behind the scenes knifing each other in the back every chance they get. Kamala had a, a scheduled trip planned. She's going overseas to Vietnam, and she's not canceling it. We're in the midst of the biggest presidential scandal in probably decades, and the vice president is hopping on a plane and flying across the Pacific Ocean to Asia. Not to visit Afghanistan. <laughs> so this is awesome. I mean, the, watching this unfold is going to be just beautiful. Sit back and enjoy it. Look, and you don't have to feel bad about that. It's all a disaster right now. So you and I can sit back and enjoy the little things. As far as Kamala Harris goes, at least she's still popular with college students. They just don't know why. I want to get your thoughts on our Vice President Kamala Harris. What do you think of her? Is she doing a good job in office? Uh, yeah, I think so. I do love having a woman, person of color, Democratic leader in that position. I think she's doing great. I really do agree with a lot of the policies she's been putting out, and I think she's a great Vice President. What policies specifically do you agree with? I don't really know. <laughs> Can you tell me some? Maybe I don't. Maybe I don't know what her policies are. Maybe you can just cut that part out. Can you name any specific accomplishments or policies that you like from her? No, honestly, I don't really keep up with politics. 
on social media, I've seen that she does great posts, so yeah. Off the top of my head, I can't think of many of them. All that may have made you uncomfortable, but I'm right. We have former CIA counterterrorism agent who was in Afghanistan, boots on the ground. My buddy Drew Berquist coming up next. Stay tuned for this. Stay tuned for this. I've been speaking with Drew about this. He has information on Afghanistan and the way it's laid out. You haven't heard before. This interview might even go a little bit long because he is a wealth of information. Now, your home title is online. I, I just want to drive this home because people still don't think, oh, I'm not mine. If you own a home, your home title is online. And as we speak, as you're listening to the sound of my voice, cyber thieves are looking for it. They are hacking clouds all over the globe. And this, this crime is so bad because if they get it, you won't know it until it's too late. Soon, they're coming to evict you. Go to HomeTitleLock.com right now because they have a free offer for you. It's a $100 value. Go put in your address and you'll be able to see if you're already a victim of it for free. Just go to HomeTitleLock.com. While you're there, sign up and protect yourself. We'll be back. Will U.S. troops stay until everyone is out, or will they leave? So I'm not going to comment on hypotheticals. What I'm going to do is stay focused on the task at hand, which is getting as many people out as rapidly as possible, and we will take that day by day. So you can't commit to yes. bringing back every American? Did you, did There's a large number. That wasn't a hypothetical. That, that was a question. Joining me now to talk about that and many other things is former counterterrorism officer and host of This Is My Show with Drew Berkowitz. Drew, um, we can't commit to taking out our own citizens. This is a bit of a new policy for America. We've always protected our own citizens. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that has always been the case. Uh, but interesting to hear, I, I was looking at the same clips earlier today. You know, they're trying to stay committed to their timeline, which of course means nothing now with all that's happened there and this just debacle of a, of a pullout. I mean, as we talked about the other day, you literally couldn't have scripted a worse ending to this war. And now they're saying, oh, well, I mean, maybe we'll get to you. Maybe we won't. We want to leave by the 31st. It makes no sense. It's, it's a disaster. And they know that the American people see the disaster and watching them try and work their way out of it is, is as comical as it can be in such a dire situation. Okay, uh, Drew, let's, let's, let's do an actual hypothetical here for a moment. All right, Drew and Jesse, we're running the country here. We have bumbled this whole thing up. We yanked all the, all the troops out. We have 10,000 American citizens there. Now we need to get them out. You and I, what are we doing? How do we get them out? Because I understand the Taliban are probably not going to be that welcoming of dropping a bunch of Ranger battalions in. Right. Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, that's the problem now is basically you're left with two options and I will get to the answer, I promise. But you're left with the option of, OK, we created this problem. They're already under Taliban rule again. They've got all this territory. They've got all this power. We have this little bit of property at the airport that we're controlling for now so we can let everything else just go to hell or we can do a little bit of a reversal and go back, not like to where we were by any stretch, but do what it takes to finish this right, at least for our people, and ideally our, our Afghan interpreters and, and partners that work with us as well, and then figure out and carry on the rest of your awful plan. But in this scenario, you've got, look, you've got to, you've got to bring back people there. You've got to hold the airport. And they, I, I've heard multiple people too, 
say behind the podium in D.C. We're, we're holding the Taliban at their word and believing they're going to stick to it. It's like, who, who are you? What, what have you been watching? When has the <laughs> Taliban ever Jeez. stuck to their word? They're not sticking to their word now. They never have. It's not in their interest or DNA to do so. But I think you've got to go. You've got to hold the airport. You've got to have air support there. You've got to have all sorts of, 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 of a show of force. And then you've got to have special operations teams on the ground going out and helping make sure that these people get back to safety. And you say that we are not leaving like we like we used to, at least, until you're all accounted for. And I don't think that's okay. I, I don't know if it's going to happen or not. But I think there's got to be a show of force. The, the Taliban respect strength. Uh, excuse me, strength. So if, if, if right now they're seeing weakness, so they're doing whatever they want. But they do fear us. They just don't fear President Biden in the way that we're doing it. Okay, I hate to nerd out on the details, but I'm going to because details matter a lot. Agreed, obviously, we need air support. Where do we put it? I, I, understand we, I understand we want helicopters. I understand we want planes. There's only so much room at that airport. We gave up Bagram. Where do we put our air? Where do we house our air support? Well, so the Kabul airport, for those who haven't been there, and I imagine most in the audience have not, the Kabul airport is actually pretty big. It's real expansive. And it carries down to okay. there's, there's the civilian part and then there's a military part. There's some other parts, perhaps, um, that are there. It's a very big and, and I, I'm dodging that on purpose, of course. There's a very big space there. There's there's a lot of real estate and there's room for okay. what we need for the footprint of what we're doing now. You know, is it a Bagram? No. But is there a ton of space to get the kind of support we need to accomplish what we need to accomplish now? Yes. So it's, it's just a okay. matter of saying, we're going to do this. We're going to eat crow. We're going to send more people. And I know he's sending some back in, but we're going to send more people and the resources in to try and fix what we just did, which again, left people stranded, both with Americans and people who are darn near American. They've worked with us and kept us alive for 20 years. And then, <clears throat> you know, try and try and make this a little bit better. It's still a disaster. It's going to go down in history as one of the biggest international blunders, I think. But try and do it right to the best of your ability and fix it. And that's what it's going to take. Okay. Uh, on the people who helped us out, you're seeing a lot of arguments already about the refugees we're bringing. They're already arriving at bases in places like Wisconsin. I am of the opinion, obviously, the people who were over there helping us for 20 years, let's get them and their families out so they're not tortured to death. I'm also not of the opinion we need to be welcoming in thousands of people from Afghanistan. Europe suffered for that greatly. That's my opinion. What's Drew's opinion? I think, I think it's absolutely that. I think, you know, you nailed it. And the problem is, is there's people on social media right now, and people on social media tend to not be that smart in the first place, but they're lumping everyone into one category. And I've been cautioning my audience and other shows that I've been on is, look, be upset. We shouldn't just bring everyone in. It is tragic that they were born in Afghanistan. They drew the short straw. That's awful. And, and I'm sorry about that. And what the Taliban are going to do to them is going to make it even worse than it was before. But some of those people on planes, some of those people being relocated, don't necessarily warrant that. And that is a big problem. And it's a concern that we should all be worried about. But also within there, some of those people on the plane, and then a lot of people who are not on the plane, I would contest are more American than some of the people here that people are arguing with on Twitter and, and have done more for this country. I, I've, I've talked to many. I was talking to one just earlier today who's lost his family on the run from the Taliban, can't sleep in his own home, sleeping you know, in all sorts of places. So we've got people that, that kept us alive. We've got to get out. And there's a big distinction between the two. 
Okay, Drew, most of America right now, I, I would venture to say 95% of this country plus believes the Taliban are right on the cusp of taking over all of Afghanistan and there's not an opposing force at all. Drew, inform people about the situation on the ground. So that, yeah, that's not true at all. Um, it's, it's basically, basically, you know, history does, does a circle all the time. And that's what we're seeing here. You know, back back before we invaded, the Northern Alliance was was pushing pushing back against the Taliban. We supported the Northern Alliance um, before 9/11. You had Ahmad Shah Massoud, who was the leader of that, who was killed. Um, he was assassinated, and his son is now the leader of the new Northern Alliance. They're all geared up. They are ready to go in Panjshir. They've been waiting. He's been having some meetings. I've talked to sources on the ground. He went to Pakistan. He went to France. He went to a couple other places. People who are saying, look, let's try and figure out how to do a co-share of the government. Taliban gets part, you know, the Tajiks and other people get part. And they don't want to do that because, of course, no one wants to coexist with the Taliban. They're horrible people. So they, along with Amrullah Saleh, who, who ran the National Security Directorate, which is their equivalent of the CIA that we, we our government trained, uh, and we worked with Amrullah for a long, long time, they have partnered up along with several other warlords and saying, no, this isn't going to happen. We are going to push back. This is going to be our Afghanistan. So it's going to get very, very interesting um, in the coming days and weeks. True. Again, not to nerd out on the details, but the, 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 all these people you just described, do they have the ability without a lot of support from us? Do they have the ability to take on the Taliban? Do they have the numbers? Do they have the equipment? Yeah, they so they most certainly do with with a couple things that could come into play and change that. So it, it just in a force on force fight, these are people that we've trained. So a lot of the people that are being accused of, oh, they just dropped their guns and they didn't fight. Well, no, that's not necessarily true in all cases. In fact, most cases, they didn't have the support. They were told, you're not getting more ammo, you're not getting more resources. So they bugged out. Um, but a lot of those people have equipment. They were trained by us. There's some people who I, I will tell you, it's a smaller percentage, but they are really, really good. I uh, know what they're doing, and the Taliban are going to be upset when they come to see them. Um, so there's a lot of people there. They have tons of equipment. They have equipment we've given them. Obviously, the Taliban have tons of equipment now, too. Um, but I, I think it's it's not just a bunch of villagers. It's some people who know what they're doing, and it's, it's going to be really, really interesting to see, and it's going to be really, really bloody. Drew Berquist, didn't I tell you? Didn't I tell you he was going to drop some knowledge on us tonight? Drew, thank you so much. Hey, thanks for having me. All right. You a smoker? Do you dip? You're never getting judgment from me. I've di I dipped for years. Years. I've burned plenty of eaters in my time, too. I've burned enough to know and dipped enough to know it's hard to quit. It's not easy. Only people who think it are easy, it's easy are people who've never done it before. Jake's Mint Chew will get you through it. There are 11 different flavors of long cut. Four different flavors of the CBD pouches, which I would highly recommend because they really take that edge off. But there's no nicotine. There's no tobacco. There's not even any sugar. Before you quit quitting, I know it's tempting to get, just give it up. I'll just dip forever. Before you do that, try one more thing for me. Go to jakesmintchew.com and get some today. jakesmintchew.com. Use the promo code JESSE. That'll get you 10% off. All right. We have the great Carol Roth next. I don't even need to introduce her anymore. Everybody loves her. 
not as much as you love me, I hope, but everybody loves her. Joining me now is Carol Roth. She's the author of the book, You Better Have Already Bought the War on Small Business. If you want to understand what is happening right now and why it's happening, this is an instruction manual. Go get it. Carol, what's BlackRock? Most people don't even know what it is. Don't even, they think it's a, a dark thing on the ground. Yes, well, first, are we just going to gloss over the fact that everyone knows you are infinitely more lovable than I am? But as we put that aside, <laughs> uh, BlackRock is one of the biggest and most powerful money managers in the world. In fact, they actually may be the largest. They have, at this point, $9 trillion in assets under management. Um, sometimes those numbers seem really crazy, hard to put them in context, but the entire GDP of Canada is about $2 trillion. So they have, uh, what is that, four and a half times the uh, size of the GDP of Canada in terms of assets under management. And they are very well connected. If you remember last year, uh, the Treasury and the Fed wanted some assistance in terms of uh, buy buying certain kinds of uh, securities in the market and so who did they turn to they turned to their friends at blackrock and uh yeah the pretty pretty powerful set of, of money managers that uh as you said you may have never heard of okay carol i don't want to i don't want to make it weird here but nine trillion dollars that sounds like a company that is more powerful than several governments yeah, it's interesting. Um, as we have these discussions about, you know, what needs to be broken up and who needs uh, to be have their power structure looked at, somehow BlackRock has completely stayed out of the conversation, um, and they. With that level of assets under management, obviously have a lot of influence and have a lot of access. Um, to a lot of powerful people as well as a lot of different kinds of, of assets and uh, investment opportunities. Okay, Carol, they're calling on investors to lift allocations to China's markets. Now, they didn't cover allocations to China's markets at my community college. Could you explain to everybody exactly what that means in some form of English? Yeah, so I've um, actually been uh, do doing a lot of looking into this. They had a thesis that came out at the beginning of the year, and this, this is their wording, not mine, but they're calling for a U.S.-China bipolar world order, and they don't mean bipolar the way that you know, some of our politicians are bipolar. They mean it in you know, two big companies, kind of, or two big uh, uh, countries taking charge of the world together, which, you know, us, us as Americans who think we're the only ones in charge of the world might find a little bit distasteful. So that was kind of the thesis that came out in the beginning of the year. And now their strategy head, um, as of, of, I think it was just a, a couple of weeks ago, is recommending increasing your exposure if you're an investor and saying that this is the pattern that they're going to, to uh, follow to China. Now, I will say the timing on it is very suspicious because they also recently got approval from the Chinese government, which if you don't remember the name of the Chinese government, the Chinese Communist Party, um, they got permission from them to sell mutual funds in the China market. 
So, you know, I'm not sure if there's a chicken and egg situation or if this is just purely coincidence. I'm just going to pre present the information. You can all try your own conclusions. But these things are, are happening um, in tandem with each other. Okay. As far as big companies go, how are they handling China? Are they all, all in on China? Are they out on us? Are they in on both? How are they handling China? So if you read their different uh, investor briefs, they're basically saying they still see strength in the United States, but they think the growth opportunity is coming out of China, and so that you really should increase your exposure to China. And again, this is not my investment advice. I'm just repeating back to you um, what some of the things that came out of the, the BlackRock report said based on the way that I internalized them. Uh, it's interesting because there are a lot of issues in China. Uh, we saw recent news about sort of a slowdown that's happening in their economy. We know that they have been punished at least by our legislators uh, in the financial community here when they have been listing on U.S. Um, exchanges many of the companies because several of them have been fraudulent and have had to have their listings pulled, and so there's more stricter, uh, more strict reporting requirements going on, um, and we really don't have a good sense of the reality of, of a lot of the numbers out of China, as well as the fact that they have a rapidly aging population and a, a big imbalance that's coming in terms of their economy from the number of, of people who need to be supported, and then the outgrowth of their one-child policy that's leaving a lot of, of males without uh, mates and the, the ability to have children. So they have a, a big demographic issue that's gonna impact them economically. So I find it very strange that, that now China is being held up as this new kind of powerful growth you know, arena, separate from the emerging markets, which I agree they have already emerged. Um, but you know, the, this thesis, I'm still trying to get my head wrapped around how that foots with the other data that we're seeing out of China. Is their economy prosperous because it's mostly male? <laughs> you, no, there's no way to make them sandwiches, Jesse. Obviously not. No, it's mostly prosperous because of the United States. And this is the really crazy thing as we're sitting here in a time when we're you know, fighting these wars to supposedly spread democracy and, and capitalism and whatnot. There has been no entity that has done more to help the spread of communism than the United States. You know, back in uh, in the Bill Clinton era, we're the ones who basically normalized trade relations with them and walked them into the World Trade Organization, and that's where we've seen the last few decades uh, or a couple of decades of explosive growth that has completely transformed their economy. Now we have our companies, you know, big companies kowtowing to the opportunity. Our big financiers want to open up mutual funds to, to continue to help them prosper. I mean, why are we doing this to a, a country that has the word communist in its party title? Like, I just don't understand why we keep doing the same things over and over again and doing it at our detriment. Carol, what's the Great Reset? <laughs> oh, you're just hitting all the, the big uh, theories, aren't you? So there is a, a group called the World Economic Forum, and that is the highly sophisticated thought leaders, the who's who of politicians and business leaders that get together that talk about heady ideas. 
And one of the, the ideas that has brilliant ideas that has come out of this organization is something called the Great Reset. And this is not something that's a conspiracy theory. You can literally look it up on their website and it says the Great Reset. It's their words. And they put out promotional videos that say things like their predictions for 2030, which, you know, we're not talking about years and years from now. I mean, this is within the next decade predictions about you will own nothing and be happy and we will all be a nation of renters, which for people like myself who believe in property rights and believe in uh, economic freedom and the link between the two sounds pretty darn scary. So there does seem to be um, this uh, kind of philosophy the floating around amongst a lot of people that are very rich and or well-connected or powerful ideas that are very much in conflict with those of us who believe in free markets, um, you know, freedom, choice, transparency, ownership, and traditional wealth creation opportunities. No private property. Hmm. Seems like I've almost read that somewhere once. Oh, well, I'll, I'll look into it after. Carol Roth, thank you so much. Always a pleasure. Do you protect yourself? Do you carry a weapon? Now, let me ask you something. You don't have to answer. You can do all this quietly. What do you carry your weapon in? Where'd you get your holster? Did you go down to the uh, big box hunting store to buy your weapon? Which is fine. It's fine. I bought weapons there. Got the weapon you wanted finally. And then, oh, uh, I need a holster. I'll, I'll just take that one off the shelf. Some random one that was printed by the thousand. Don't do that. Your holster has to last. Your holster has to perform. Northwest Retention Systems not only has the coolest designs out there, you should see my join or die holster, it's awesome. Not only do they have the coolest designs out there, it's the best quality because it's all custom made and custom made right here in America. Go to nwretention.com. That's nwretention.com. Use the promo code JESSE, that'll get you 10% off and free shipping on everything over 100 bucks. All right. We have woke schools next. Get your kids out of government schools. And after you yank your kids out of government schools, still go and run and put yourself on the school board. That is the path forward. Save your own and then work on saving the rest of the country. I don't say this as just something I love to repeat because I love to hear the sound of my own voice. Okay, I do love to hear the sound of my own voice, but we're setting that aside for a moment. That's not why I'm saying this. I'm saying this because it's not just college professors anymore. I, I just want people to understand it's not just the nutball communist college professor now. This is a preschool teacher. Story time. This has been my first year in preschool with a class of my own, teaching alongside another queer neurodivergent educator, and we have been rocking our twos class. We've been talking about gender, and skin color, and consent, and empathy, and our bodies, and autonomy. It's been fabulous! But our teaching team is shifting and a new person is being onboarded, someone with many years of experience. So today at the lunch table, when the topic of gender and genitals came up, one of our students plainly looked up and said, well, I'm a girl today, but I know that teacher Ko isn't. No, they're Enby. 
And the look on the incoming teacher's face was priceless. She was shocked in a good way. And she just looked around at the two of us and said, this class is incredible. And I am so impressed. Pre-school. I have tried to explain this to you before. So I'm going to do it one more time here. They don't look at kids the way you look at kids. These innocent human beings should be protected. They look at your kids as if your kids are their property. They don't look at your kids and think hands off. They look at your kids and think, I have to get to them. As all communists have always done. They've never left the kids alone and they have no intention of leaving yours alone either. Get your kids out of government schools. Here's another teacher. And I want you to ask any teacher how they feel this year. And I'm sure that they will tell you that they have never experienced anxiety like this because it is like we are trying to protect our students from a mass shooting that we know is coming but cannot do anything about, except we can do something about it. It's just that not everyone agrees that wearing a mask will stop the onslaught of students and staff who are likely to become sick, and that makes me sick. The dramatics. That has to be, imagine living with that. That has to be so exhausting. By the way, we have all the data now. Your kids very likely are not at any risk from coronavirus. That's not, it's not me speaking. It's not an opinion. I have, I have all the data sitting here in front of me. Coronavirus is not, is not a serious danger for children. We know that. All right. You know, we have a newsletter. We have a newsletter. The first. See, I wake up every morning, or I used to, and I did the same thing you do. I would scroll through all the different websites. Everyone has four or five, right? I want to scroll through all the websites. What are the headlines? What's going on? What did I miss while I was sound asleep? What are the big stories of the day? What are the big sound bites? What's the big video? I don't have to do that anymore. I open one thing now. My email. Because the first puts out a daily newsletter every single day. It's 100% free. A daily newsletter every single day with all the video and articles and headlines you need. It is a one-stop shop. Go sign up at thefirsttv.com. That's thefirsttv.com. There. Just made your life easier. And we got Light in the Mood. Next. I'm not going to lie. I'm a rule breaker. It kind of comes to me naturally. And every time I've seen somebody storm a baseball field or a football field, kind of jealous. I'll be frank, though. I, 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 don't, I would never want to be one of the naked ones. I never got the appeal there. You're going to get tackled at some point, and that just creates a whole new list of problems. But I like when people do it and do it well.
Just a heads up, fellas. All those security guards, they don't like being embarrassed. They don't like having to get up. They certainly don't like having to run. And if you ever do decide to do it, just understand when they finally do get a hold of you, they're going to get a couple extra shots in there. You need some ibuprofen that night. All right. We'll do it again tomorrow.